RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Okay, it's time for our monthly catch-up with Ivor Cummins in Dublin, and Ivor is back with us. Ivor, welcome back to RCR. Good to have you. Great to be back again, Paul. Super. Okay, so first of all, people can't see it, but the T-shirt is fantastic. Do you just want to quickly describe, because, of course, New Zealand used to be a nation of sheep, all right, actual sheep, 60 million of them, not so many now. Well, not uh, the four-legged hoven hooven variety, but you have a really cool shirt. What is it? Yeah, it's a nice olive green, Zelensky green. But the key thing is the whole chest is emblazoned with a large sheep wearing a blue mask. <laughs> so it's a perfect image for our times. It's from Wide Awake Media. They do all kinds of similar shirts, but uh, really delighted. Came yesterday, so I'm proudly wearing it. Have you have you had it out in public yet? No, I only came back last night and uh, it was there in the post. So no, I'm going to give it a go. Yet. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll wear it around the place. And it'll be interesting to see how many people register or look at it or get angry or laugh. You know, we'll see. And and what was the name of the, we can get this thing, um, the shirt, because I suppose anywhere in the world you can buy this thing, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's Wide Awake Media. Uh, I think if you you search on Twitter, at Fat Emperor, my handle and uh, sheep or Wide Awake, (laughs) you'll, you'll get the link. All right. Okay, so what have you been up to? Public appearance, maybe? Tell us about that. Yeah, interesting. A, a group approached me. They run a comedy club in Dublin in a really nice venue. And uh, a few weeks ago, they approached me and said, oh, could you give a talk? And I said, yeah, sure. Cover the COVID, cover the Rockefeller Foundation, UN, World Economic Forum, and all that stuff. And also strategy and resilience and hope for the future and what way we need to go, etc. at the end. So I did a three-parter and I did around 15 minutes on COVID facts from my big September 2020 uh, facts video that I put out that got me banned and got me in the New York Times in a hit piece. And I went through all the facts and validated with government data, always published data. Uh, we were correct on everything, the ineffectiveness of lockdowns and masks uh, the ineffectiveness of the meds, uh, the actual mortality, no worse than the severe flu season, a um, hundred times less impactful in life years than Spanish flu, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I went through that 15 minutes and made it clear as crystal. And then I did around 45 minutes on the Dr. Jakob Nordengard work, you know, the Rockefellers in the 50s, right through Kissinger, Schwab, World Economic Forum, UN, Uh, and all the other bodies, Club of Rome, that have led us to this madness. You know, it's all documented again. And I made that very stressed that to the people. Everything I'm saying is documented and published. And then I finished with 15 minutes on resilience and just said how important it was when you're trying to convert people and enlighten people as to what's going on. Always refer to published articles in mainstream, published papers, you know, published archives like Rockefeller, always make it clear and stay calm, never look passionate or wild-eyed. You will not convince anyone. They'll think you're a nutter. Always stay calm, ask questions, and refer to published facts that you can send them uh, in reputable sources. And I said, that's the strategy going forward, awareness. And the other thing is personal resilience. 
You need to get fit. You need to get healthy. Mental health is a big part of physical health. And in the coming 10 years, there's going to be fireworks. There's going to be some dark times. Uh, I have no doubt we'll prevail. But you need to get fit and strong because what they want is they want you fat, sick, diabetic and half depressed uh, <laughs> and hopeless. That's Isn't what they great? want. Of course. Isn't it great? Isn't it great? Yeah. Happy okay. days. Yeah. <laughs> Surely you must have left something out in that list somewhere. There must be more to it than, than than just those things. Those are the main ones. Okay, so how big was the crowd and how did it go down? Yeah, it was packed house. Uh, I asked them a day or two beforehand the second time, do you want me to pop it out on Twitter? And they again said, nah, because in Ireland we've had trouble with events being uh, kind of harassed by nut jobs and extreme leftists, and they ring the venues and threaten them with uh, protests. So they said, no, uh, as it happens, we were booked out. We're overbooked, standing room only anyway. Uh, there's no point putting it out there. So, yeah, packed room and a couple of Irish well-known people in the anti-lockdown kind of movement came and the Q&A was buzzing. So I was two and a half, nearly three hours on the stage. I thought it'd be around an hour in total uh, with a break and just huge energy in the room. We had some nurses there, medical type people, professionals, uh, working people, a huge cross section and very few kind of nutters because on our side, that's anti-establishment. You also get, unfortunately, people who've gone too far who are believing all kinds of wacko stuff. And then they may they, they lose credibility for us, sadly. Uh, but no, the room was fantastic. And I think a question I was asked a couple of times is, why didn't you mention X and Y and Z? And I explained to them every time, it's such an important point. You do not mention stuff that's not published and on the record. Like so what would be Isles. some examples of X, Y, and Z? Yeah. So, for instance, they were some of them were really upset. And, and in Amsterdam recently as well, and I'm sure in, in Southampton and going November, they've invited me for a similar event, much bigger venue. But uh, always the same thing. People say, but why didn't you mention the Rothschilds? They're behind the Rockefellers. And I said, because it's not published, it's behind the curtain. So, yeah, I have no doubt that the big banking families, I know the history going back before World War One. And I know, yeah, there's a huge problem there. Fine. But I can't point to any mainstream published a verification of that. So all I get is I'll be called, uh, God help us, anti-Semitic, and uh, I'll be dismissed. Yeah. So what's the point? What's the point in telling something, someone that's not documented? You can't public, you can't put a point to some kind of proof and make it clear that this is historical geopolitics. This is on the record. If you can't do that, there's no point talking about it. Unfortunately, sadly, there's no point. Yeah, well, that kind of makes common sense. So in the questions that you got and the sort of demeanor of the crowd that I'm sure you could read from you know, two to three hours up there. Were you waking them, waking them up or were they already kind of woken up a bit and needed some more? Where were they at on the continuum? Yeah, super question, Paul. So I talked to the organizer and a couple of the other people involved, and they said that generally there were people who were already pretty aware because they advertised it through Telegram and other groups. So broadly speaking, they were aware people. But they were aware of a few kind of normies in the group who were brought along. So <laughs> one of those apparently said, well, that was eye opening. 
<laughs> after it. No kidding. Said, yeah, as as an understatement, like because it was clearly bamboozled a bit, thinking bloody hell, my worldview now has shifted 180 degrees. So that was great. And I talked to the organizers afterwards and they actually had an idea from that, that they're going to probably run another. And they asked, would I do it? And I said, absolutely. Where they'll invite everyone to bring an army. And oh, like a bring a army night. Yeah, okay. You bring an army night and just tell them, this guy is really great. And it's, wow, yeah. it's fascinating. It's not a conspiracy theory. Yeah. And everyone can tell their friend, I promise you everything he talks is is government published or scientific literature. Honestly, I can, I can assure you. And then for me to design one that's a little less heavy, and I suggest that we design it around questions. So we do a series of questions to the audience, and then we answer them and right. make it a little easier, a little more approachable, and have it that even a hardened normie will realize to their horror the world is utterly not what I thought it was, and they, w- they won't be able to go back. <laughs> They're inoculated for life. It's interesting you say that about the, the questioning strategy. Throw a question at them. I've talked to quite a few people uh, you know, about how to communicate all this without having people running away or sort of the shutters coming down or whatever. That seems to be the consistent kind of thinking, that if you're putting questions to people, like you say, with the data that you've got, it's verifiable, it's not sort of, you know, from woo-woo land, then you're sort of putting them in a position where they've got no alternative but to either completely shut off, which is you know you're doing it when you're doing it, you know, the person does themselves, or Mm. you're kind of tempted to try and find the answer to to that question. Yeah, and even if then they are put into a mode where they actually do perhaps want to debate and then they'll realize to their horror, they have nothing to go on that their whole belief system came from the nice man on the telly. And that's an important moment for people when it dawns on them, I have nothing. And this person or my friend or whatever is everything he's quoting is published in the telegraph and spectator magazine or in whatever you know, research gate. And yeah. I know they're telling the truth. Everything's published or in the Rockefeller archives, even better, the biggest archives in the world. So everything's published that he's referring to calmly. And I have nothing in return because why? Because I have nothing. I only yeah. have what the nice man the telly told me. Now, where does that put me? <laughs> yeah, That's it's, it. it seems to be the way to do it. If there's a way to do it, it seems to be that. Okay, yeah. so... What do you make of, since we talked last, um, there's been kind of more chatter out of the USA, Fauci's back on masks, various colleges and universities around, more on the eastern seaboard uh, side of the US have been, um, you know, bringing back mask mandates, um, enforcing vac- vaccination mandates in some places. These the, the new variants are here. In fact, someone wrote down the other, other day, if I can find the piece of paper, because I thought it was quite funny, the latest variant, BS.24-7. <laughs> um, do you think it's, ra- long story or long question short, is it ramping up again? Is it? That's a big question. I recently joined an inter- international group, mainly of investment type, self-made people uh, who are got together to support each other going into the future, uh, given the headwinds we have. 
And that question came up with a couple of their top guys, really smart guys. And one of them did believe that it is ramping up, that something is needed in the next couple of years until CBDC is ready. So they need something. They need some distraction. They need some action. And remember, they tried monkeypox, even though it was self-evidently a farce, and then they dumped it. Well, it just shows they'll try anything, run it up the flagpole, even if it's absurd, just to see if it takes hold. So my opinion was, I think they're testing the water with the COVID nonsense again. But I think they'll realize or I expect that at this stage, the world has somewhat moved on and it won't it won't take hold. It won't take root properly. So I think something else is more likely Uh, financial crash, which is kind of engineered, but kind of baked in the cake at this stage. Let that rip and then say, oh, my God, we have a financial crash and get everyone running around in circles worried about that. Or another suggestion was Ukraine could be ramped up with some kind of operation, a bit like the pipeline, something really out there. An event happens in Ukraine and they reignite the Ukraine because that's fallen out of the newspapers. But they could reignite it with a risky play, you know, set off an event. So anything's possible with these goons, it has to be said. But in short answer, sorry, Paul. Yeah, I think they'll test the water, try out a bit of COVID nonsense and see see how it goes. But I don't think it can work now. But you're right. All the media together around a week ago all began to mumble about this nonsense variant, which is not really communicable much and it has no real impact. But yet they still got all the media together to talk about it, right? It's yeah, just well, that's, ridiculous. That's how come you sort of know that something's bubbling, you know? Yeah. Um, they're all singing off the same song sheet. Mm. Um, um, you mentioned monkeypox. I haven't heard anyone kind of mention this um, along with the monkeypox scare. Remember that truck that crashed out of Washington full of monkeys? Remember yeah. that story? They were experimental laboratory monkeys, but I'm trying to remember the context. That was way back. I think they come in from another country. and um, But apparently... Um, the only reason I, I, I thought of it when you were talking about monkeypox is one of the uh, passers-by apparently picked one up and came down with a horrible thing. So, you know, you can't sort of make this stuff, stuff up. You can't write the script, really, can you? <laughs> ah, yeah, it's nuts. And, I mean, the funny thing is, Paul, they even play with the aliens nonsense. Like you saw recently there was some interview in America with a genuine American official. I don't know, is he an intelligence or army? And they even spackle the, the the public, the poor sheep, with stuff about aliens and, and intimate there may be something in it. It's all about distraction. It always was. And, you know, I, lo- I love um, this cartoon, one of the best I've ever seen. I've saved all these, by the way. Uh, it shows World War One, World War Two, and World War Three in three panels. And in World War One, there's an old kind of Gatling type machine gun, and someone's feeding in a bullet uh, belt. Yeah. Right? And then it shows World War Two, and it's a much more modern, like an M60 or a, a German 50 millimeter or 50 cal, and they're feeding in a modern, more modern uh, bullet belt. And then World War Three shows a guy and it's a big television camera and there's someone feeding in a belt of wads of dollar bills. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. 
So the media is now in this, what's it called, asymmetric war. Uh, the weapons don't really matter now. The weapons are psychological. And we've seen that since March 2020, especially. I mean, we had COVID and then it was immediately replaced with vaccine obsession across the board. Then when it faded with Omicron, which was not really in their favor, that was a bit of a disaster for them. Ukraine. Uh, and we go on and on. Climate now is the big one. So climate's interesting to see how much uh, they can get. The people are not really responding to the climate madness. And I know we're going to talk about that in a moment. Uh, but they're bringing in the laws behind the scenes mainly. And the compliant uh, media are not really covering the horror of the net zero laws that are slowly creeping in. It's fascinating. The media won't touch them. They le Reuters fact check will even call it a conspiracy theory that net zero is going to ruin everything. You know, they're all in it together, as always. Yeah, the uh, interesting thing about that, from what we know here, is that that whole thing goes right down to almost the postage stamp size of, of you know, local suburbs. You know, it's oh, that yeah. high. The resolution of it is very high. And it's been secretive even at that level. Yeah. And I'll have to say the Telegraph yesterday in terms of current news or the day before, I think it was the Telegraph. They've been very good. And Spectator Australia has been very good. But Spectator Europe has been a disaster. Different ownership. But they came out with a thing about Sonec, is it? And basically, laws are going in now in England, going through the process that will have up to a 12-month prison sentence for not delivering net zero targets. Now, I'm not sure the exact wording, but they are beginning to arm the law with horrific stuff around net zero, which is a hypothesis. CO2 is a working hypothesis. The degree of its impact is debatable. They're making laws based on a conceit. And the conceit came from Rockefeller in the 50s with no scientists present and grew through funding and UN and WHO and all the rest grew into what's supposedly a consensus. But if you've bought 97% of scientists, 97% of scientists will say what their funding is, is dictating. And um, I believe the figure, uh, this is interesting, Paul, that's been debunked. The 97% of scientists agree. They agree that to, there is some warming or there is some climate change. If you get down to the ones who believe it's driven by uh, men or anthropomorphic or whatever, tropogenic, and it's going to be a big impact and a problem and all that, uh, it gets down to around 1%. Right. So they've included all the scientists that say, yeah, the climate changes. They've included them all as being behind this madness, which is complete fraud, obviously, total fraud. I, I spoke to Judith Curry, who um, has had a bit of coverage in the States. She was a, she's a climate scientist, weather um, expert, who's done a, the 180-degree flip and now sees the sort of craziness of this. She said there is no consensus. It doesn't exist. There is no consensus. And in science, you really can't have a consensus because that that corrupts the, the, the method of science. 
Absolutely. There's a couple of fundamentals in the scientific method. One is the control. You can only prove something or demonstrate something with an experiment that has a control group. That's fundamental. And the other thing you would have to say about science, it is always a debate and a discussion, and it's never settled. There is no such thing as a consensus. There can never be. It's always a debate. But what they've done is they've shut down the debate. Reuters fact check is all over it like a rash, right? And they say it's a consensus. And I recently shared a clip, a video on Twitter, a genuine clip from a UN lady in one of these World Economic Forum or UN forums where they dog whistle to all their nutters who are rolling out their nonsense. And she actually smiles and talks about how they got Google to put their climate stuff up the top of all search pages. Right. And she uses the phrase, well, we own the science and we need to be very active. She own said it all. Own we the own the science. Now, that is cast iron proof, essentially, that the person saying that is a scamster at an epic scale. Yeah. If someone <laughs> says they own the science, they are literally putting a playing card on their forehead. I am a scammer. That's it. No exceptions, really. It wasn't Fauci, um, isn't he famous <laughs> for saying, I am the science? Exactly. There's yeah. no real exception. Just like the guys in history censoring were never the good guys. There's no real exception to that. So if, if people could only see common sense and basic logic, you know, the funny thing, Paul, I said in an interview the other day, incredibly, People for all of human history, as a group, as a tribe, distrusted and sometimes feared those with great power who led them, right? Generally, there was a lot of that. And now they've managed over 30 or 40 years with their conspiracy theory nonsense psyops. They've managed to get the people to distrust the people who distrust very powerful figures up top. Isn't it incredible? They've reversed yeah, humanity's it. common sense. Brilliant, brilliantly done, I suppose. <laughs> okay, so um, let's get to climate. And uh, people can't see it because this is audio, but I'm looking at um, the first of a, a bunch of slides I think you've got that uh, I think you're going to be incorporating this data into some sort of uh, production that you have coming up. Do you want to tell us a bit about this and, and some of the data that you have here? Yeah, Paul. Well, I've been looking into the climate, quote, science uh, for the last six or eight months. And again, as per my rule, I'm very careful to stick to credentialed professors. And indeed, like Judith Curry, they try and claim she's on the payroll. They try and claim, you know, impropriety. And it's complete nonsense, as we know. But she was a distinguished professor of science. There's another guy, I think John Brinkley. I could get that wrong. Uh, he's a distinguished professor of climate science in Alabama, and he runs the Atmospheric and Climate Lab there for many, many decades. So I've been going through all the people and Patrick Moore, who founded Greenpeace. Yeah, I'm going through all the, the key people of enormous credibility who show data for every statement. And that's the way I'm speeding up my research rather than going direct to the models and all. And I think that's very fair. I'm leveraging experts. And there's now 1,500 have signed up to say there is no catastrophe. 
And one of the groups is CO2 Coalition. So I'm going to do a video on this because they pulled together around 25 graphs and facts that I think are just fantastic. They're case closers. And it's an amazing compilation. So CO2 to the number two, I think, coalition.org. I think that's the website, but I can give you the proper one later. So I'm just going to, the first graph you can see in the screen, fact one, 140 million year trend of dangerously decreasing CO2. And it's gone from 2,500 parts per million, right, down to currently it's around 400. But it hit as low as 200. And if you get as low as 180, plant life begins to die on the planet. And that means animal life too. So it just shows we're at a low point of 140 million years. And yes, we're putting a little bit back in the atmosphere, but it's from the lowest point in history. Important fact. Yeah, and obviously there was no one around to pump CO2 into the atmosphere that long ago. So that was yes. totally naturally occurring. All right, that's interesting. That's a, that's a huge drop too, isn't it? I mean, it's... It's a massive drop. And the reason was given by Patrick Moore. No one can test this. Sadly, the uh, shell creatures in the ocean, the trillions and trillions of them, they learned 100 million years ago or much more, sorry. They learned to take carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and make carbonaceous shells. So they began to steal the CO2 from the atmosphere. And even through the lush forests, beautiful periods, they were kept stealing the CO2 from those periods. And as a result, they headed the whole planet towards extinction because they didn't know. They're like people who wear, wear masks. The sea creatures mm-hmm. don't understand this stuff. So they just kept taking the CO2. So that's what's taken all the CO2. And it's become shale and rock and, and you know it's been trapped all we're doing is letting a little bit back again. We're letting a little yeah. bit of love back. Because it's all the, the same CO2 in the end, right? Yes. Yes. And when we have animals and they say, oh, methane, that goes through a 14-year cycle. That becomes CO2. The animals fix uh, CO2 into the ground. Uh, you know, nit- there's nitrogen fixation, also carbon. It's all a cycle. And now yeah. we've gone in and helped it. Because if you take a greenhouse... And this is done commercially and bring it up from 400 ppm where we are now, which is, by the way, guys, 0.04 percent, four hundredths of one percent is CO2. It's minuscule. But if you put it up to a thousand, the plants grow way better. And you'll see in graphs coming up, the whole planet is greening, validated by NASA. We're getting deserts that are un desertifying if that's a word yeah and we're getting much bigger crop yields it's all good uh, we've it. had a, a shortage of co2 in new zealand uh, because we had a, a, an oil refinery that produced it as a byproduct which has been shut down it's being uh, imported at the moment and there are supply there have been a few supply chain issues and that has what has caused a problem with greenhouses and their productivity because yeah i didn't realize that they must have been injecting more CO2 into that greenhouse environment to grow more crops, right? Simple. Oh, yeah, it's it's a huge effect. And also the plants, their stomata, they can live with less water when the CO2 is higher. 
So you get plants in the desert growing where they couldn't before because the CO2 being a little higher, even a small bit, reduces their water requirement and soils become moister and more healthy. It's all good. It's astonishing, Paul. They picked the one thing in the 50s, the Rockefeller Foundation and Brothers Fund and all the other quangos. They picked something which they loved because CO2 is produced from all human activity. So if you want to lower population and put the ants back in the ant farm, well, it's perfect to say CO2 is a problem. Perfect. But what they didn't realize, I think, is they picked the worst scientific thing possible as their bogeyman or boogeyman. Yeah. Because as you'll see in these graphs, Everything is positive for CO2. And the only thing says there's a problem is modeling. Ah, There we go again, modeling. There we go. The tool of tyrants. All right. So we've um, we've looked at that graph, um, the trend over 140 million years. Okay. What's this? So the warming effect of each molecule of CO2 declines as the CO2 goes up. And this is a hugely important. Any engineer will look at this and go, oh, my God, and immediately know it's a scam. So on the left, you see the first 100 ppm of CO2 has a significant warming effect in terms of loss to space. Uh, So the bar is up high in the graph. But then when you go up to 150, 200, the effect of the extra 100 of CO2 at 200 is less than half of the effect that the first 100 gave in terms of warming. And then when you go up to 300, it's kind of halved again. So as you increase the CO2, the effect it has on warming just falls away logarithmically. That's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So you'd know as an engineer, glancing at this graph, or as a layperson indeed, You'd know at a glance and say, oh, we're at 400. And after now, even if we go to 800, it's not going to make any much warming difference. It's done its stuff. It's not going to double. No, no way. You double it and it gets a tiny bit of what the first 400 did. And even at that, the first 400 are going from 200 to 400 in the last 50, 60 years does not correlate with temperature. The temperature increases that have been going up for three or 400 years since the end of the Little Ice Age, they keep going up. And the CO2 has had no impact, even as it doubled. And yet we know as it goes up higher and higher, it will have even less impact than no impact. So that's a law <laughs> of physics in action. Yes. Can't argue with that. And it's all, no. about, it's all about warmings. So if it, do, if it doesn't warm, there's your argument. Shot down already. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that's that's the thing. The whole thing is modeling of warming catastrophe is their ploy. So yeah, when you see graph like this, you say, but we we can't have a catastrophe. And now they've begun to say, as this has come out in the public sphere a little, they're beginning to say there could be a feedback effect. And they've got new teams of modelers saying, but maybe a little bit extra will cause this. Feedback a t- effect. A tipping point. A tipping point. They're making shit up, Paul. Yeah, yeah. They're well, literally it. making it up. It's astonishing. And it could, so, you know, would, could, could, yeah. might, right? So, okay. Our our sponsors and funders from UN and Club of Rome could give us more money if we lie about this. So we will. That's <laughs> it. With the hand so, out. All right. We, that, 
the next one, yeah, is just plant food. And it just shows the growth of trees when you go from 385 to 835 even. Huge increase in growth. So this is established. This is CO2 is plant food. It's great, great for the plants, which are the food for all the animals, including us. That's so it. I, I see 150 parts per million, which is the next to the ambient. You go up to 450 parts per million, and you've got about a third um, size again grow growth in the in the tree that's being displayed. It's about a third bigger just across that, and you can actually see it. I can see the pictures. Wow. That's it, yeah. And it's healthier too, and it use, needs less water because of the stomata close up. So it's just, it's all good. There's no question about this. And the reference is there. And then this one, fact four, I love. In the last four glacial advances, and they're driven, by the way, by the Earth's position, the solar system, its elliptical orbit. And basically, they're driven from cosmic factors, the ice ages. But the CO2 level was dangerously low. And you can see the sawtooth graph. So at the end of each uh, glacial advance, you got to really low CO2. Uh, this is 400,000 years is the time scale. No humans. And the CO2 emissions did begin accelerating in the mid 20th century. That's true. You can see that in the graph on the right. But the point is, the cycle for the last 400,000 years has always headed to really low levels. And now we're on the cycle back up. But we're only bringing it up to levels that were seen millions of years ago when the planet was bursting with life anyway. And it's pretty consistent sort of sawtooth um, um, graphic there. Yeah, pretty consistent over 400,000 years. That's it. It's it's crystal. And the reason it's consistent is there's lots of factors like sunspot activity and all that. But the Milankovitch cycles of the Earth's position in the solar system and how much exposure it gets to the sun uh, and how it's it's presented to the sun, they're long cycles. So that's why there's tens of thousands of years involved. But this yeah. is all known and published, but they'll never discuss this. They'll never discuss the actual science of climate. Because if they go there, it'll be like this presentation. They'll People will ask questions. So they can't discuss climate. They can't discuss water vapor and sun influence or the cycles of the solar system. Because if they discuss that, you'll realize they're selling snake oil. So they won't discuss it. They will only be funded. And this is written in the IPCC. They are only working on CO2 as a catastrophe. And they're working on that narrow, tiny topic. They won't yeah. steer outside of that. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we can't go on, but you can provide the link. We won't go through all of them. But fact six, our current geologic period, the quaternary, has the lowest average CO2 levels in the history of the Earth. So you can just see we are on the bottom of the bottom. And uh, we get it back up double in the next 100 years. We'll be back a little more near the nearest lowest periods. Uh, and remember, the Jurassic, it was up at nearly 2,000 parts per million. And you've seen the movie, guys, Jurassic Park. Everything right? was big. Everything was big. The plants were big. The animals were big. And it was a paradise. Now, obviously, it's not a paradise because you get eaten by a Tyrannosaurus Rex. But come on, like. You know, these monster mammals and tiny mammals were all thriving 
in a beautiful forested planet. And it was at 2000. And then it went lower in the Cretaceous and much lower in the tertiary. And now we're in the quaternary and it's much lower again. It's clear as crystal we can go back up. Uh, you know, we don't need to be adding. Instead of going up to 2000, we go up to 800. We're not even near the Jurassic. When the Earth the Jurassic booming. is when dinosaurs were walking around, like Tyrannosaurus yes. rex, as you say. Um, and obviously they went extinct. Has has dropping CO2 levels got something to do with that? I don't think so, because as you can see, a huge amount of time later in the Cretaceous and tertiary, it dropped way ahead of when they went extinct, is right. my understanding. So something else happened. Yeah, yeah. They, they, the best, I think, theory, and I think it's accepted, was a, a meteor strike yeah. that literally for several years turned the planet in, just covered in ash and, and you couldn't see the sun. Uh, that's their best guess for that pretty quick event. So nothing to do with CO2. That's for, for sure, I would say, yeah. Another impression I get from looking at that graph is that uh, the Jurassic period, which we see as like hundreds of millions of years ago, actually, in, in terms of the graph, it's quite recent <laughs> in, the, uh, in, in the, um, the history of the Earth and how long it's been around. It wasn't actually that long ago. Well, I mean, I'm showing the next fact graph, uh, again, showing CO2 are near record lows. Um, they're just above survival level. Uh, but Jurassic, yeah, 150, 200 million years. But in planetary terms, that that's nothing. Uh, but uh, you know what I mean? It's it's a couple hundred million years. And the, the planet was stuffed with uh, the... Uh, you know, animals, huge animals. And yeah. I don't know the Cambrian explosion, the Cambrian explosion back 500 million years ago, that's where life exploded on Earth. And that was the highest CO2 period right. of Hello. all 600 yeah. million years. Yeah. I remember the Cambrian explosion, guys, when all the fossils, we started seeing them. Life exploded on the planet when we we're up at four or 5,000. And dinosaurs. Yeah, that's, that's a big peak. That, that's, that's a huge peak. 8,000. Yeah. So like this whole thing is 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 self-evidently absurd when you look at these graphs. You don't need to be a climate scientist, though. You should listen to Judah Curry and, and Professor John and, and, and Patrick Moore. Of course, you should go through the data, of course. But you actually don't need to when you just see some graphs like this. It's, it's self-evident. Well, what self really... Well, what cracks me up here is, and I think I might have mentioned it to you in, in one of the last chats, you may or may not remember, but we had our climate agency here, government uh, climate agency, um, link a recent storm event now four or five months ago with climate change, man-made climate change, and they reinforced, well, using the data that they put forward, that, that supporting their argument, it only started at 1978. When I'm looking at this graph, and we're looking 600 million years ago. It, that's just 78. I mean, come on, you know. Yeah, it's it's the scam of the century, perhaps the scam of any century, I think, even in human history. It's astonishing. And like you say, start in the 70s. So the 30s had way more hurricanes of U.S. data and droughts and heat waves, 1930s. And the reason they start in the 70s generally is Things have been less bad from the 30s to the 70s, and then they've ticked up a little, all natural, but they, it suits their narrative, of course. 
just go back to the 70s when CO2 began to rise and see has anything gone up, then present that anything and say, ooh, look at the scary monster. And people, sadly, they obviously don't have any scientific knowledge. They're not aware of these graphs and they, they just believe it like masks. We're back to my T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, we are back to the T-shirt. OK. <laughs> All right. Is so, there any, any more? I'm going to flick through them now um, and find a good one. Oh, there's fact nine. CO2 feeds more people wor- uh, worldwide. Oh, Brain okay. Well, that's, breaks yeah. records. That's yeah. significant. Yep. So from 1961 on the graph up to 2012 or 14, and it's still going, you can see here the, uh, the wheat, rice and coarse grains. As the temperature slowly naturally goes up, and we've also added the CO2, um, we just got higher yields for a, for a, a busy planet. Yeah. So that's all good. And I like this one. Modern warming began more than 300 years ago, fact 10. And you can see the graph clearly, this trend upwards since 1659. And it's pretty steady, but with lots of jumps and drops from year to year. Very noisy. But you can see the CO2 going up through the roof in the last 50 years. The graph is not changing trajectory. I've been looking at graphs for 30 years as a professional engineer. Nothing is happening in the temperature graph except a long hundreds of years steady migration upwards. And it may accelerate upwards because... That's kind of what happened coming out of the previous ice ages. You know, you can get a sharpish rise and then it curls over and comes down for the next ice age cycle. But this graph shows it all on one graph. Through the roof and CO2 emitted, temperature curve rolling on upwards like it has done. Yeah, that that data goes back to 1659, I see on the graph there. 2009 back to 1659. How much of that time period um, is covered by actual, um, you know, uh, readings that have been taken because I guess the technology for temperature measurements only been around for so long. So there must be ways of determining where the where the temperature was spiking and 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 that yeah. uh, that that yeah that trend line that goes up over that time. Yeah, well, the thermometer, I believe, and again, I'd have to check, I'm very careful, only published, only facts, but I'll surmise here, I think the thermometer was around the late 1600s, so I think this one is thermometer readings, and to be honest, as soon as they invented the thermometer, it gave highly accurate readings from the get-go, it was like the telescope, The you know, when they made the telescope back in the 1600s, they could see you know, the start yeah. of the planets. So, yeah. yeah, I believe this is all actual measurements, but we have other ones going back hundreds of thousands of years with temperature proxies taken from the ice cores as they drill into the oh, glaciers. Right. Gotcha. And yeah, yeah. they say the same thing. And in fact, we might finish with that. Um, I'm going to skip this one and we'll just see, can we jump to, uh, there's some great stuff here. Um, interglacial warming. I think this one is, yeah, from ice cores going back 400,000 years. Epica Dome Sea Ice Core Antarctica, published in 2007. And you can see the temperature there going from plus two on the graph to minus eight degrees up and down over 400,000 years. And you can see at the end of East Ice Age uh, in the four cycles, you can see the temperature has gone right down and then it goes shooting back up. 
Yeah. And we are right in a period of interglacial warming now, same as forever. And we have indeed shot up. But yeah, you can see, you can see the waveform. It's it, it's a consistent waveform across yes. again here, 400,000 years, which tracks the sawtooth graph that we you um, were describing earlier, which showed the CO2 levels, right? So those two kind of track together. Yeah, and I'm showing another one here um, from Ali, uh, 2004, uh, the interglacial Holocene, Greenland ice core data, same thing, temperature up and down, huge swings uh, of several degrees. But in the last 10,000 years, uh, we're actually on the low side, but we're going through an up cycle. And we've seen 8,000 years ago and 9,000 years ago and 9,500 years ago, Loads of up cycles and down cycles, exactly the same as today. There is nothing new under the sun. And the CO2 increase in the last 50 years doesn't correlate with any change in the vector of temperature. There is nothing here. If you came to an engineering group, high-end engineering group, with this climate proposal as an engineering team, you'd be laughed out of the room based on the actual empirical data, and you'd be told to go and fix your models, you morons. That's <laughs> what would happen in a real-world scenario, Paul. It's quite shocking. And there's one more I think that's worth seeing. Yep. Uh, this is yeah, more of it again. The current warming trend is neither unusual nor unprecedented. This is the last 1,600 years, and we had the medieval warm period in there. And uh, you can just see from the graph, nothing... Nothing has been happening due to us. And the very last one, the Milankovitch cycles, this is where it's at. And it's all to do with the eccentricity of the Earth's orbit and these long cycles, tilt of the Earth, precession of the Earth, and the eccentricity of our orbit around the sun. When you put those three variables together with huge cycle times, they bring the Earth into ice ages and into hot periods. They, a billion times more than CO2, I'm, I'm exaggerating here, that humans release. We yeah. can only scratch the surface of tweaking in a tiny way with no real-world relevance, the temperature. The temperature set by massive planetary systems, you know, and water vapor and cloud forming and sunspots and myriad enormous processes. And our little bit of CO2 added, it's just absurd. Paul, I think we'll finish on that. It is yeah. so absurd, it makes me sick. And no one should comply to anything that is imposed no. based on the bogus modeling data. I mean, how could you ever comply to that? It's completely bogus. And the hilarious thing is, in ways, it's inherently absurd. It makes no sense. None of their nonsense makes sense. And the reason is because the CO2 as poison was initiated in a boardroom of very wealthy, very influential people. They that's identified... because they don't like human beings, fundamentally. Well, or, or, what it or is... Life. Well, it's not... They wouldn't even see themselves as evil. In the 50s and from before that, they saw the world as a place that could become unstable if resources came short, 
we have much bigger populations now. And the wealthy elites who are involved in politics, like Rockefeller was vice president, they, they got into a lot of politics. They decided with all of their ultra wealthy elite pals around the world that it someone was needed to come in and manage the Western world or it would it would become a problem at some point. They saw it as their role to bring in a world government to manage the ants in the ant farm because they had nothing but contempt for politicians and national politicians and, and ordinary people. They couldn't manage their way out of a wet paper bag. That was their view. So they came in over many, many decades and set up Club of Rome, Council of Foreign Relations, United Nations, WHO, yada, yada, yada over 60, 70 years with the purpose to manage the world in a proper manner in their mind. And that's all we're seeing. There's no conspiracy theory. We are seeing their management vision, but now it's beginning to impinge on us. And now we're beginning to question it. No one saw it the last 50 years because it was invisible nearly. Fascinating. Thank you for (laughs) taking us through that data. Um, I know it's a slideshow, but I think you explained it really well. And people have, you know, you, you sort of create storyboards in your head from the information. I'm, I'm sure people were visualizing those uh, graphs and those spikes and those dips as you were explaining them. Ivor, great to catch up as as usual. Let's talk again in another month. And uh, I'll, I'm going to be looking forward to that chat. It's always interesting talking with you. Thanks. Absolutely, Paul. Thanks so much. And in another month, we'll get to see if the flag, the COVID nonsense flag, has gone up the flagpole or not some more. Okay. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) We won't make any predictions, but it'll be fascinating visiting that in a month. Yeah, totally. Super, Paul. Thanks so much. Bye now. Thank you. See you later. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.